I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Pretty much during the 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, and it was talking about a sage that uh, the, there was a drought in Israel, and they came to him, and they wanted him to pray for rain. And this man carried a staff, and he took his staff, and he put it out, and he made a circle. He turned around made a circle. And his prayer, and I can't quote him exactly, but his prayer to God first was, you know, about he said, God, I will not leave this circle until you send rain. And it started to rain. It was a light rain. And he said, I will not lift my head until you fill up the cisterns, caverns, and the ditches. The rain started pouring down. And it poured and poured and poured and poured until everything turned mud. And he said, I will not leave this circle until you give us that kind of blessing in our lives. And, and God then began to lighten up the rain. Everything dried and everybody was refreshed. And they had everything they needed. But the point was that I had, had, had read this and I, I began to pray that prayer. And we took and, and Wednesday night and I wanted people. And that's what you see this little basket up here for. If you have drawn a circle, whether it's an obstacle in your way that you want God to remove or a promise that God has given you. Now, when I say this, I'm not one of those name and claim it people. You know that. I'm talking about promises that God has made you that are not, not something asked that you ask amiss, not something that is just to, to gratify you, but something that is needed. And if you have that and God answers that prayer, that thing in the circle is taken care of, whatever direction it may be, whether it's removed or whether it's given then I want you to leave that here in a, in a written, just a, a written testimony, if you would, in this basket that God has taken something. You don't have to name it if you don't want to, but just let me know. And I put a circle. I never have felt led to do this, but Wednesday night I put a circle up here, and I said, God, we need a million dollars to build this building. Why not? And I had the church agreeing with me Wednesday night. I had an agreement with, with it, and I feel, I feel strongly about this. In fact, it was it was interesting, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I got a call the next day. Uh, no, I guess maybe it was yesterday. Well, within a day or two of it. I can't remember everything anymore. And uh, um, I had a person that there was a situation that's coming up that may very well lead to something like this. Uh, I've got this back here, and I know you need it. What if I send it to you? great thing about having a light service like this, I feel, you know, like I don't... The people that made it out on... On a day like today, I feel like that they'll just kind of bear with me, and if I mess up or kind of get corny or whatever, they'll you'll you'll, you'll be all right. So I'll do that today. Um, <clears throat> what I want to do, and I'm I'm carrying on with that. I it's, this I really wanted to do this this morning. I hate to say that God sent an ice storm so I can do this, <laughs> but we'll just uh, go with that and say that whatever happens happens. But I really want to do this this morning, and if some of you may remember. Uh, a few months back, I was praying about ask, and it shall be given you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. It's Matthew 7. And I divided that up. This was broad categories of prayer. And I, I divided the platform up and I said, ask was over here. When you ask, you, you want your petitions met. You want things to happen for you. It's in your needs. Seek is when you and I put it right here where the platform is, uh, or where the Bible stand is. And, and I said, seeking is when you begin to really seek God. It's more than just giving your petitions. You're seeking His face. You're, you're, you're wanting to see 
more of him. You want to understand him better. And knock, I put over here. And knock is where you come to that point to where you don't have to talk anymore. That you just, you just enjoy the presence of God. You just adore him. And that's where I'm going today because, you know, that's a broad, that was a broad statement, but I want to talk about the prayers of adoration. I want to talk about that this morning. And uh, I, I'm going to, this is an area that a lot of people, including me, feels uncomfortable with. But it's there. And somehow we've got to get around being uncomfortable with it. Women won't mind it so much. Men really have a problem with it. They have a, a difficulty understanding. Uh, they have a difficulty separating, maybe that's a better term, uh, what true adoration is towards God versus, you know, other things that men have on their mind. And so I, I want to I want to read I want to read I want to read now the NIV, then I'm going to go to the Amplified Bible, then I'm going to uh, then I'm going to the King James. I'm going to the NIV first, uh, out of the Song of Solomon one and four. Song of Solomon 1 and 4, and it says, Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. And they use the term, the NIV, adore. In the uh, Song of Solomon 1 and 4, in the Amplified, it says, Draw me. We will run after you. The king brings me into his apartments. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will recall when we were favored with your love, more fragrant than wine. The upright are not offended at your choice, but sincerely love you. Same scripture in the King James Version. Draw, draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. The upright love thee. And again, I'm just titling this this morning, Prayers of Adoration. Let me ask you this. this. Let me start this with a question. What would you think, what prayers would you think that God desires the most? Now, just think about it. And, and have, you, have you ever wondered if God has a preference? Is there a preference in prayer? Is there something that He prefers more than anything else? Now, we know that he delights in prayer of all kinds. He, he enjoys that. But I really, I, and I wouldn't even go here today if I didn't believe this. I strongly suspect that if there is a favorite flavor of prayer in God's infinite mind, that it may be the most rare of prayers. Because that, that, I believe that it's like anything else. When something is rare, it's more desired. And it's the same thing with God. You know, when, when something is rare, when you don't get something very often, then it's more desired. And I will stand here this morning with my full heart believing that the prayer of adoration is more desired by God than anything else. Now, we are in this church a strong male church. And we better be a strong male church because strong males make the church. Women... Are easier. It's easier for them to pray prayers of adoration. But I'm hoping that, what the, especially with the emphasis that's been placed uh, on men even more so this year than normal, I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm really pushing this, and I hope that we, some of the men, including myself, can understand and catch this. 
Because this is important, and I believe that if we're going to continue the way we are, I made a statement last uh, yes, uh, yesterday, I believe it was to, to uh, Brother Hill, and I, I told him, I said, we have been at this place in this church in the last several years, I said, probably four or five times at the place we are right now. And I said, we have never, I said, there's always been an obstacle that's come over, and it seems like heaven's become brass. And we have revival, and we have people come in, but we don't get to what I want more than anything else, and that's a true apostolic church. It seems like there's always that obstacle that is there. And I said, I'm hoping and praying and believing that God will give me the direction. And I said, with your help, and I said, with the other ministers that we have here, that we can break through this once and for all. And I believe that this part of it is important because no matter how hard a ministry team tries, we cannot and never will be able to do this unless the church is behind it. And this only will come through prayer. This is only going to come through people who adore God, love God, and we truly have this apostolic revival through the power of prayer. It is the only way that it will occur. So we have to understand that there's something special that God wants out of His people, and if we're not willing to give that, He's going to continue to look till He finds someone that will. He is looking for this. So we have to do this more than anything. We have to understand that. Now the words adore and adoration may be two of the most powerful words that we have to describe the deep level of intimacy that we experience in God. To adore. To adore means to worship or honor as deity or as divine. To regard with loving admiration and devotion, to be extremely fond or to revere. Adoration is a spontaneous yearning of the heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. Now, does the Bible contain a clue as to the Lord's favorite prayer? Does it contain a clue? Are we just talking about this, or does this book contain a clue of what God really wants? Now, the Psalms contain some of the most passionate prayers in existence. And they all seem to be prayers of adoration or unconditional love um, on display. What has happened? And let's go back and let's go back to this. How many of you spend a lot of time reading the Song of Solomon? You don't like to read it because it's X rated. We'll make it R-rated. Somewhere between R and X. And uh, we don't like that, especially men. Every time I read the Song of Solomon, I go out and buy my wife flowers. Write her a poem, do something nice, because, you know, it has that effect on you. But what if we can understand what that book's saying to us? It's not, it's okay to go out and buy your wife flowers. I'm just saying that 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 should be that I should revere the one who inspired that book. And as God himself, Jesus Christ, we need to revere. He's, there's a purpose in that. So, so we, and the same with the Psalms. The Psalms contain some very passionate prayers. Uh, and, and, you know, you see this unconditional. But what has happened is, is that through the years, and honestly this did occur back in uh, early Catholicism, that a lot of the priests, oh, you know what, what I'm saying, I'm not sure they did it this way, but they would, they would uh, take scissors and cut out the Song of Solomon because they didn't want anybody reading that. 
Then he went by to see what was, what was really being said here. And still to this day, sometimes we put scissors to that book. We just don't, we don't talk about it a whole lot. Because you see that, uh, you know, this, this, this is, this is a, uh, a book that describes the passion of Jesus Christ for the church and the bride for the groom. This simply describes the passion that God has for his people. Even the Apostle Paul went back to the Song of Solomon and, and echoed this view when he used the relationship of the husband and wives to describe the Lord's passion for the church. He went back and used that book. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, you know, the important, important thing here is that we avoid the, the, the prudish pre-scissors today. Let's, let's open our minds and our hearts and let's receive this. Now, all of these witnesses seem to point to the fact that prayers of adoration may be the prayers God most desires. Now, these witnesses also seem to confirm why these prayers are so rare. It costs us something to offer God adoration. You will not give him the adoration that he deserves unless it costs you something. We have to die to self before we can give ourselves unconditionally. It's giving of yourself unconditionally to God. And if that happens, you're going to have to die to yourself. Somehow, some way, we must get beyond ourselves and our endless list of needs. Now, understand this. It is when we come to God, and I know that we, you've heard me talk about it in the ask segment, uh, ask segment over here, uh, where we have to get off of us. That kind of, that, that, that unburdens us. But I think that when we really arrive at adoration, that we don't even need to go to this point of asking anymore for the petitions. We come right directly to here and hoping to get over to here. You see, that is when you die to yourself. I no longer need to come and give God a list of things that He needs to do for for me. I don't need that anymore. I want to get right into His presence. I want to feel Him. I want Him to know how much that I adore Him, how much I love Him. And my adoration is going to be something that I give freely to Him, not something that I have to come to Him after I've done burdened myself of all my needs. So we have to get beyond that. We need to seek, you've heard this has been said many times, we need to seek His face more than His hands, to love the blesser more than His blessings. And this is the height of maturity. And this is the lost art of adoration. The height of maturity is being able to... I know there's times we need to ask God for things. But I also remember that He already knows. And sometimes it's just a matter of adoring Him to get those things met. Now... While describing the conflict between Mary and Martha in the gospel accounts, A.W. Tozer said that adoration is the lost art of worship in the church. And God wants to see this aspect of worship restored to the church. What is adoration? Again, what is it? How do we really understand it? Babies are our best tutors on the subject of adoration. You want to learn how? Watch a baby. But young children do a pretty good job. This one writer said this. When I, one reason I, I wanted to say this is because I remember this thing happening to me, so I'll use someone else's examples rather than my own. He said this. He said, most of the things I've learned about adoration over the years have come through my three daughters. God used the adoration my daughters showed towards me as their 
earthly father to teach me how to adore and worship him as my heavenly father. He says this. He said, three times I asked my youngest daughter, what do you want? Each time she said, nothing, Daddy, I just want you. Finally, I told her, come on, get in the van. And we drove into town, and I said, what do you want, baby girl? Once again, she said, nothing, Daddy, I just want you. Then we pulled up in front of a much-advertised toy store, and her eyes lit up. And by that time, my heart was so melted that what I wanted to do was just go in and say, Okay, baby girl, just tell me which half of the store you want. You can have this half or the half that it, the other half. It doesn't matter. I said, Pick out whatever you want. And you know what she got? He said she got a little bottle of soap bubbles with one of the little wands. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. And suddenly, he said, it became really obvious that she really didn't want anything. She just wanted me. And that's what God wants from us. I don't want anything. I just want you. Just want you. That's what adoration's all about. Adoration is rare in our everyday world. And I want to be honest with you. I'm afraid that it is just about absent completely from some of the churches. Extinct, maybe, is a better word for many of the nation's churches. Most church congregations and individual believers make it clear that they love God, but most of us have a habit of approaching our Heavenly Father with our hands out. And it takes an extreme effort for us to worship God for 15 minutes without asking Him for something. It takes a lot of effort to not... And thank God, I, I believe McCormick's Creek Church is really right there. I think we're, we could cross over and understand this, and I believe there are several people here that do understand this. Now, now I, l- let, me, let me qualify a couple of things. Does God discourage the asking? And, and no, he, he takes great delight in hearing and granting our prayers and in providing our daily needs, yet he especially longs for those rare moments when prayers of adoration... Uh, begin to kind of waft their way through the through the maze and the tangle of our continuous give me, bless me, help me prayers. You know, he, he, he likes that more than anything else. He, if you can just start by in between give me, help me, bless me, and just begin to adore him and tell him how much you love him and tell him how much you appreciate that he's on the throne and how you know that everything's well in control. And regardless of what this world looks like, we know that we've got a Father that's going to take care of us and going to keep his hand on us. And I adore you, Lord, for that. I love you for what you've done. I love you, God, because you keep me in perfect peace. That's adoration. And whether you even feel you have peace, tell him he still keeps you in perfect peace. Because somewhere faith has to enter into this. God carefully and patiently listens to all of our prayers except one. Anybody want to raise your hands and tell me what that one is? Come on, some of you Bible scholars. You don't have any idea. He asks all of our answers, all of our prayers, but one. Do you know Jacqueline? I can't hear you. What was it? Not repentant? That's close. That's close. There's a biblical answer for that. Anybody? Well, one prayer doesn't he hear. Go ahead. Do you know where in the Bible it speaks at? Book of James. You've got to ask amiss that you can consume it upon your own lust. 
That's, that's, if you would look at that and understand that you can ask amiss, do you realize how easy it is for, ask, for us to ask amiss? Even, even when, even when we think we're right, even when we think that we're asking for the right way, if we don't carefully study and look in our own hearts, we can be a personal reason for what we're asking for. You know, I, I, I could, uh, let me just give you a case in point, and I know one thing. I've checked my heart about this. I'm going to use this as an example because, because I have checked my heart. I, I, you know, I, I want to see this fellowship hall go up more than anybody knows. And I've worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, and we're getting there. And it's taken a while. We know the economy, all this stuff, and I, I'm trusting God for it. And, and I believe we're going to get the money for it, which is what we're asking. But I had to check myself to be sure that this wasn't a, a personal thing. I want to succeed. I want to do this. I want. You understand? But I checked my heart. And it, with everything that's within me, I don't care. I, I don't. <laughs> I want to do it because it's right for the church and right in the kingdom of God, not because of me. And I, I've checked that. But, but on the other side, how many times do we really check ourselves? I mean, really, I, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm getting too, I, I don't want to go too far on this, but have you ever prayed for someone and God heals them? And you just feel really good about yourself. Like you did it. Why do you think that God doesn't pass out gifts of the Spirit very often? I think God would pass them out a whole lot more if we could ever get the eye out of it. The only thing I think we ought to feel good about is when we fast. Because I think you need to feel good that you've done it because that might push you to fast a little bit more. But when it comes to prayer and when it comes to God answering prayer, and I've heard people say it, and I don't, I please, I'm, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that, uh, you know, it's good that maybe you feel like God has used you, if you can use it in that way. But I've heard people make mention, you know, someone was healed or someone, something happened. Well, I, at first they right up front, boom. Hey, well, I prayed for that person. Okay, good. I'm glad you did. I hope you pray for me and everybody else. But what was your, what are you trying to say to me? What are you telling me? You think that it was because you prayed that this person was healed or because the church prayed or because somebody else prayed? Or I, I'm not saying that it's wrong to say that I prayed for this person, but I just want you to look at your motives. Does God get adoration, glory, and praise out of this? It is a struggle through stubborn flesh and clouded soul to move past our needs, hurts, and prejudice into the lower levels of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And I'm saying that not that those are low, but they're the lower levels. You get into to thanksgiving, praise, and worship, and that begins to take you to adoration. It's kind of this level right here. Seek level. To take you over here to the knock level. Okay, it's it's to take you. So it's a lot, but we have to. You have to get through this. You know, I'm surprised at the amount of people. You know, I, I tell you what surprises me more than anything else. Still, is the amount of prejudice that I see in churches. I, I I'm astounded. I am totally astounded. Now, folks, prejudice will will absolutely keep you out of adoration or thanksgiving or praise. It'll keep you. It'll separate you. And the amount of prejudice I see is unbelievable. I'm not talking about skin color. I'm talking just about anything. There's so much prejudice. So many of us were raised with a certain amount of that. 
And it's just, it's a hard, you, if you don't bust through that, you're never going to get, I, I, I'm teaching a group of people here, I, I want to talk to you here this morning, because this is important, that we break through some of this. I'll be honest with you, I have to, I have to break through after so long, you know, you have to break through the fact that you see that, and I've said this before, but it, it can become a prejudice. You see that same person pray through every revival, and I don't even want to pray with them. You know, I don't. And it's probably better that I don't. But I'm still saying that before long, I can see that person walk in the back. And I don't know, here he is again. You know, things must be bad at home. You know, God's a spare tire. I come through, pray through, and get what I need and leave. Never see him again. And you know, if they're getting what they need, that must be God still has hope for them. You you see what I'm saying? And you can become prejudiced. And you can look at people and become that way. And if we don't overcome this, these are, these are things that, are, that clouds our soul. And, and we have to move past them. If we don't, we're going, to be, we're going to be in trouble. Because if we can move into thanksgiving, praise, and worship, it is hardest of all then to reach that deepest level of love. That's the deep one, the level of pure adoration for Him. That is the, that's the, what we're seeking for. The level of love virtually always makes you an outcast. If you get to where I'm talking about, I could go somewhere with this. That I probably shouldn't, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna bypass a certain area because when you try to get here, you become an outcast in a room of less passionate people. If you really, and I, I've seen that happen as well. I've seen people who are seeking. I know that there are, I realize that in seeking, and please, this is the reason I brought up prejudice, because I realize sometimes people in seeking, they can get on your nerves. They, I know that people can, can, can rub you the wrong way. You know, you can, you can hear, and the devil sees to it that that happens right when you don't want it to happen. But you have to look at the person, and you have to realize that person is seeking a level with God that we may not necessarily have. And we, we're not as passionate about it as what he or she is. And as, if we're not as passionate about it, then all of a sudden, you know, that person becomes an outcast. Now, uh, what happens here is when passion shows up, it makes complacency stick out. You ever see complacency stick out like a sore thumb? Sure can. And it's surprising the amount of people that it makes stick out. Yet your goal isn't to, uh, you know, your goal isn't to show people up that are complacent. If we're seekers of adoration, if we're seekers of that level of love, we're not trying to show people up. We're not trying to show people, you know, that uh, I'm more in love with Jesus than you are. We're not there to win some kind of merit badge. Your, your deepest desire is to commune with him and to communicate that deepest longing and loves of your heart directly to him. That's why we do what you do. That's why you get down and you seek him and you seek him and you seek him because you're trying to get there. I, I, I'm convinced that some of you that have the hardest time maintaining the kind of prayer life that you want, you have been seeking this level but because so many other people around you are complacent that you begin to think that there's something wrong with you and there is nothing wrong with you. 
You're not trying to, and don't, please don't use this as a way that I'm better than, than they are. All right, don't use that as a way to, to, to catapult yourself into a, a higher level of love and adoration. But on the other hand, don't quit doing what you're doing until you can reach that level. Because if you do, it can help the whole church to reach that level of adoration. You know, it, this, what I'm talking about drove John to lay his head on the Lord's chest at every occasion. Even though he, he probably, John probably paid a dear price to do that. John and his brother James were so fiery and aggressive in nature when Jesus first called them to his side that he gave them the name Boanerges, uh, it, it, that is the sons of thunder. He also gave one other disciple called Cephas a nickname as well, and it seemed to stick, Peter. For a man so bull-like, sudden and ready to fight, it must have seemed almost humorous to see him get close as he could to the master day after day. God's love can conquer anything, and it will conquer everything. You know, there will be people that arrive at this. There will be churches that arrive at this. And those churches that do will be a part of the end time, and they're going to reach levels that they never thought possible. Their minds and their hearts are going to be in such a state of love and adoration toward God that nothing will move them away. They'll desire to be at church every time the door is open. They'll desire to be at every prayer meeting. They'll desire to be at every cell group. They'll desire to be in the presence of God any and every time that God's presence is there. And if it's not, they're going to bring God's presence there. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who will bring down God's presence to their love and adoration. If you believe what I'm saying, give him a hand clap of adoration. Praise God. There are, excuse me, there are passages in the Song of Songs that are pure adoration encased in human language. The problem is that many of these passages have romantic overtones to them that push well beyond the comfort zones of most people in North America, and men in particular. And uh, let me just say this. We need to get over it. We need just to just get over it. I, I, I've thought about this many times. I never have done it. Probably I should. My desk in the front, I need to get me a sign, large letters that says, get over it, facing to the person who's sitting in the chair in front of me. They want a session to come in. They say, read the sign. Thank you. <laughs> Just get over it. We have to get over it and realize that God put Solomon's Song of Songs in his word on purpose. Not by accident. He didn't put that in there by accident. It doesn't happen that way. Consider first the phrase in the, in the Song of Solomon. It says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. The closest thing to spiritual adoration the world sees is a romantic adoration of one lover for another. Now, they can't in any way seem to drink in enough. Now, you think about what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to have a little fun with this and maybe make you feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because you get two people who really are in love, and they, and they can't get enough of each other. They can't drink in enough of their beloved's face and, 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 and form. And even, even if the love glances extend beyond long to the point of, of nausea for us looking on, 
You ever seen people do that? I've seen it up here when I married them. You know, and of course, in most cases, I can't get them to look at each other, but occasionally you get those two that look, and they've got that longing look in their eye. And you're standing up here, and my knees are going bad on me, and my hip's hurting, and, you know, I said, come on, come on. It goes beyond long, <laughs> you know, gets to nausea. It goes on to say, you know, even a faint whiff of the perfume usually worn by their beloved one is enough to send them into a dream state with all kinds of odd behavior bound to follow. Now think about it. This is when two people are really in love. They really enjoy that. And again, I'm having kind of fun with this, but let, let, let's, let's look at this. With God, I, don't, don't raise your hands, but you think about it, especially all, all of you. And, and this is a a personal thing, but I just want you to put in your mind. I hope that what I'm about to say uh, will... Do you remember... Let me just say it. Do you remember your first love? And I hope you married them. Okay? I hope you did. If you didn't, you still think back at that first time of, of love, just that you fell in love. Nothing nasty, just fell in love. And and you, you, know, you think back a lot of times. You go back to that and you remember that first time. Sometimes the love is only one way. You fell in love with somebody, you know, you infatuated, whatever, whatever it may be. Do you do you realize that that was to you a very precious moment, and, and in your mind you still go over that, and you and that's just the way we are. But you realize that with God, you can return to your first love. You you can go back to that. Bible speaks of the first love. We can return to that first love and the feeling of that first love. You know that that is that that's what true adoration is. This tells us several things about prayers of adoration. You you should realize there is little self-control with real prayers of adoration. I hope I'm explaining a few things to you so you can understand when you see people in this state why they're in that state. Because sometimes it's hard for them to control because they are so deeply in love. They want to reach that state so badly. Now, I know things can get out of hand. I'm the first one to say that. But on the other side of things, sometimes, sometimes you need to leave it alone. You'll know in the Holy Ghost if you need it. And also you have to know if you're just complacent about the whole thing. It's times of love that you just, you, it's, it's just, you don't know what to say. That's the reason the Bible is full of things where Hannah, she, she couldn't speak. You know, the desire was there. I don't think it was just for a child in Hannah's case. I think she just loved God that much. And I believe it was her showing love and adoration. She understood. And I think it goes further than that. And you, you see throughout the Scripture where it talks about that sometimes that there's in Romans where it says that there's when you begin to pray that there's there's you just groan. You just that that is that is an adoration that they're having. This is the kind of thing that we need more now than we've ever needed before. You know, there's a self-control in this form of prayer, and it may begin orderly enough, but the passion of adoration for God may well cause you to do and say things you normally wouldn't consider. Sometimes you just, can't, you know, you get into, it's in the spirit. You are in the presence of God adoring him. And you say things because literally in your heart you can see him sitting right in front of you. Richard Foster, I've got two books by him. He wrote one book called The Celebration of Discipline. And God knows neither one of us need to, I read that book quite often. It talks about the disciplines you need to have in your life. And if you don't have discipline in your life, you're not going to go very far. So he, and he made this statement in, in his book. He said he once attended a small writer's seminar 
but found himself pulling away by uh, pulled away rather by hunger for something more than uh, could be provided by good conversation or challenging topics or or peer discussion groups and he traveled by car and foot to follow his heart to the top of a high granite thumb rising above a wilderness river and there he had an incredible adoration encounter in the presence of God that encompassed many different kinds of prayer. He said this, he said, what happened next is difficult to put into words. With a roar of the river quickly uh, swallowing up any cry my voice could make, I felt free to shout out my thanksgiving and to praise and praise to God. A spirit, he said, of adoration and celebration sprang up within me. And I started dancing to the tune of a, a heavenly drummer and singing words unknown to my conscious mind. I sang with my mind, too, hymns and psalms and springing up from distant memory as well as spiritual songs that cascaded down in impromptu splendor. Thanksgivings poured forth for all things great and small. Praises joined with the river in joyous exaltation. It felt like I was being invited to join in my feeble way into the ceaseless pine of, of praise that that ascends from the throne of God. In the beginning, the experience was wholly effervescent, but in time, the exuberance began to give way to whispered, holy, holy, holy. Worship grew deeper, more fertile. I had begun by blessing the name of God and was finally reduced to breathing the name of God. Exaltation sank into adoration. I said that to say this. You will never reach the level of adoration in worship unless you learn to praise first. Hear me. You hear this. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. Anybody that sits on a pew and says, well, I just worship God in my heart, you're not doing it. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. It takes praise. I, you may not be able to run the aisles. You may not be able to even walk the aisles. You may not be able to dance, but you can raise your hands. You can close your eyes. You can clap your hands. It takes that kind of praise to get you right to the point of true worship. It's where you get so wild that all of a sudden it becomes to get so low and you begin to do exactly what this man did. You begin to whisper, holy, holy, because the, uh, the presence of God overwhelms you. Then you begin to adore Him because if God can do, I feel it right now in the Holy Ghost, if God can do for you what He's doing for you right now in this praise, then how much more can God do? How much better can you feel when you just get into His presence and begin to adore Him? Those sayings of adoration, whether it be holy, holy, or I love you, Jesus, or thank you, Jesus, and you begin to thank Him and love Him just for being who He is, just for the fact that He came down all this way and died for you on a cross. That's enough. You don't need anything else. God doesn't have to do a thing for you outside of what He's already done. This is simply a portrait of what happens when hunger for God's presence seizes your heart. And you dare to follow it to the ultimate end. The Lord carefully engineers divine encounters with all people that are in love with Him, with all pursuers of Him. And, and many of these encounters with, with God take them to, uh, to and through the depths of adoration. Prayers of adoration, the, the passionate variety rather than the, the bloodless intellectual type. Hear me have not always been welcome in traditional church environments. Sometimes problems start because someone insists on reading a genuine prayer of adoration. How in the world do some people manage to read some of these prayers of adoration out of the Psalms or out of the Song of Solomon, whatever it may be? 
And, and, and problems sometimes occur, and this, uh, this used to happen quite often. In fact, uh, back in the 1900, when the churches began to, to break out, and Jesus' name baptism came onto the scene, infilling of the Holy Ghost, all of this, what I'm about to say to you happened quite often. These people would stand up, and they would begin to read, and they'd been seeking God. And they begin to read these passionate words, if you were, aloud in, 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 a, in a traditional church service and, and be platonic and passionless uh, way. And, 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 you know, they begin. But what would happen? Now, think about this. Can you imagine this with me? Just, just be with me. You know, you've got, you got this intellectual guy. And he stands up. He's a church deacon in one of the many denominal churches. And he has his, you know... You know, he's down there reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, leadeth me beside the still waters. And all of a sudden, what he's reading begins to get a hold of him. And all of a sudden, those glasses are askew because he's wiping tears from his eyes. All of a sudden, he begins to realize what he's reading, what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. And he begins to understand what that is truly saying to him. And he begins to weep loudly. Church services like that, 100 years ago or so, ushers would come and they would take that person out because he was beginning to see the passion of what was going on and what that really meant to him. Not just something you read in some platonic way and some way of no feeling whatsoever. They would take them out, but it was because of people that were, do you get what I'm saying, that were seeking God in that kind of environment that all of a sudden it began to come on them and they would usher them out of there and they wouldn't be welcomed back. And all of a sudden that person realizes, I really don't want to be there. I want to go wherever this feeling can be. And they begin to form churches. They begin to form churches. This is where we came from. I don't want us to go back to what used to be. I don't want us to go back there. The medieval mystics of the 13th and the 14th centuries pursued a more intimate relationship with God than they could find in traditional church services. Some of them suffered severe persecution from the established church or became outcast. The messages about becoming passionate pursuers of God and aren't always welcome with enthusiasm today either, and that's the truth. And perhaps it's because they often highlight certain aspects of modern church practices that seem to glorify humanity more than God. And you see, that's what we don't want. No flesh should glory in His presence. That scripture is in the Bible, by the way. And any time I see people who, when they sing, all the thing they want is you not to worship. They want your, their, your eyes on them. You hear me? They want you to see them. That the preacher who's got great oratory, he doesn't want you to get with it in the program. He wants you to hear what he's got to say. That's not what God has intended for a church service. It's not intended for a church service. This is a passion for him. No flesh should glory in his presence. It's not about how good I am. It's about how good he is. It's not about how well I can speak. It's about how much he can touch your heart. It's about what happens because of what I say. It's because of an anointing that I should have that causes something to occur. Try to remember this. Humanity can't do for me what deity can. Ask Bartimaeus and his friends. Couldn't do for him. 
what 30 seconds in the presence of God could do. Ask him. Ask him. Worry more about him and less about them. You know, I have, I have, and I still will, as long as I can, devoted myself, my time, my energy, trying to find apostolic revival and ignite it in the hearts of others. That's what I've always wanted to do, more so now than ever before. I wanted to seek God's presence. And the prayer of adoration nearly, nearly serves as a, uh, as a photograph of the entire process of seeking God and of His allowing Himself to be caught by us. It includes many types of prayer and worship blended seamlessly into one continuous act of loving pursuit after the Beloved. Do you know what the perfect church service is? I've seen it. I've seen it here. I've seen it when, the, when it starts out and people begin to praise, praise, and all of a sudden it just it falls on the platform, it falls back here, and people begin to get into that adoration. They're seeking. It's not a matter of doing it just because everybody else is. They're all seeking something from God. They're seeking to adore. Not some, when I say something, understand, I don't mean it that way. It's just, it's just a way of saying they're seeking God. They're seeking His presence. They're seeking to be in His presence. And when that church service begins to go that way, that's when things happen. That's when people are baptized. That's when people receive the Holy Ghost. That's when, that's when, when you're the preacher gets up here, it touches your heart. It moves you to another level. It takes you someplace. It fills you up. You go into the, to the next day knowing that, that God is with you and that you've truly been in a spiritual atmosphere on Sunday night or on Sunday period. You know you've been there. That helps you, that, that takes you through, that makes you want to tell others about it and others feel it around you and they know that you've experienced something that is real. As wonderful as it is, the prayer of adoration doesn't seem to come naturally. Richard Foster again said this, this is, this is good. So the prayer of adoration must be learned. It does not come automatically. And he said the best example, again, is your children. Now think about this. Do you have to teach your children to want something? By nature, a child's always got his hands out. Always. But what do you have to teach your children? To be thankful. You have to teach them to say please and thank you. By nature, they'll always want. But by teaching, they'll be thankful. The same thing is true for us. Thanksgiving, praise, adoration... These are seldom the first words in our minds or on our lips. Very seldom are the first things. And if we need a model for pure adoration today, it would be that example that Jesus prophesied would, would never be forgotten. The greatest act of adoration for Jesus Christ occurred in that crowded dining room of a distinguished religious leader in Jerusalem. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table... In the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, anointed them with the fragrant oil. 
Other religious dignitaries was there that day. They attended the meal, but they didn't offer the adoration because they were too busy trying to catch Jesus in a heresy or win his approval. Hear it? It seems all 12 of the disciples were there, but they were too busy contending for the first position to offer him adoration that day. They were too busy jostling for political position or the right hand or the left. Mary alone noticed that, that no one was at his feet, not one of them. You read the story. You read it. That, and he said this will never, ever be forgotten. So if he doesn't want prayers of adoration, if he doesn't want people sitting at his feet, then why in the world did he say that? Only this sinful woman offered her adoration to the Master that day. And the Bible record does not say she spoke a single word. She didn't say nothing. She just let her adoration do the talking as she broke her alabaster box of anointing oil, mingled her own tears with it to clean and anoint his feet. And when this woman... A public disapproval did the unspeakable. This is when she did the unspeakable. She wiped the oil and the tears mixed with the refuse from the heavily traveled road with her own hair. And it got worse. She sealed the act by kissing his feet. The scripture says she kissed the feet of Jesus. You can almost see the disciples and those stuffy Pharisees squirming. You know, he desires our adoration and worship. Heaven's hall of fame is filled with the names of obscure people, like the one leper who returned to thank God while the nine never did. It'll be filled with the names of people who so touched the heart and the mind of God that he says, I remember you. I know about you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, if I've learned anything from the biblical record is that your prayers of adoration often prove embarrassing to others who feel they are too proud or respectable to offer the same gift to God publicly. Mary was the uninvited guest at a dinner that religious men were hosting for Jesus. I hate to admit it, but passion is often the uninvited guest at our religious worship meetings. You hear me? Stand with me, would you please? Passion stands reluctantly at the door saying, I can't believe they had him in this house. And no one told me about it. I don't think I'm really welcome here. That's what passion does. You know, before you pray, before, and we've been doing a lot of praying here, but I ask all of you to do this. Before you pray, put your heart, mind, and soul through a tune-up. Put it through a tune-up. God puts up with a lot just to get 30 seconds of pure adoration from His children. You realize that? Why don't we dispense with the formalities and just gaze into His eyes? Thanks. And how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you do it? All I can tell you, all I know is that the, the posture of your heart is more important than the posture of your body. Do what it takes to, to assume the merry position of adoration. You, you may need to close your eyes to look into his eyes. You may, you may be more comfortable kneeling, standing, or lying prostrate before him. Do what you have to do. Do what you have to do 
to tell him from your heart that I love you. Raise your hands to him here. Raise your hands to him. Just adore him for a little while with me. I think we're there. I don't think you're going to need to ask him for anything here this morning. Just adore him.